narcissism, power through fear, loyalty, and false narratives. These are just some of the qualities of toxic churches. But what about truly good or tove churches? What do these churches look like and how do you become one? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And in this podcast, you'll hear a message by world-renowned New Testament scholar Scott McKnight from the recent Restore Conference. Scott and his daughter, Laura Berenger, are the authors of A Church Called Tove. Tove is the Hebrew word for good. And after seeing multiple churches succumb to abuses of power, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, Scott realized that the church needs a better blueprint. And in this enlightening talk, Scott describes that blueprint. Scott addresses the celebrity culture rampant in our churches. The church has one celebrity, Scott says. His name is Jesus. Everyone else is called to be a servant. Scott also talks about how empathy counters narcissism. Grace counters a power through fear culture. And putting people first counters the institution creep so common at many large churches and Christian organizations. I absolutely love this talk, unpacking what it means for a Christian community to be truly good. And if ever we needed someone to describe a way forward, it's now. So I'm extremely eager to share this talk with you. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Mark Orta Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcord of Barrington. Marcord is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marcourt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, you're about to hear a message by Dr. Scott McKnight, author of A Church Called Tove and a world-renowned New Testament scholar. Dr. McKnight is also a professor at Northern Seminary in the Chicago suburbs, and he has a blog called Jesus Creed that's hosted by Christianity Today. And as you'll hear in a powerful open to his talk, Scott has a very soft heart toward survivors. I would like to have everybody stand up. This is not going to be charismatic, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm a professor. We don't do things like that. I would like standing applause for the courageous women and men who have told churches the truth. I actually wrote down a bunch of names, but I won't use those because I've seen some of them in here today. We believe you. We believed you, and we still believe you. You have told the truth at great risk to yourself, to your reputation, to your church. And we applaud you for that. Thank you. After putting off months of pestering by my daughter to write something about what happened at Willow Creek 
long ago. I sprung upon her at a Christmas vacation site that I had an idea for a book, and she went crazy about it. The issue was finding a publisher who would take this, this sort of thing. We did not want to write an expose of churches, but we realized that an expose was involved if anything redemptive was ever going to be said. So we had to tell some stories, and it was not hard finding stories. In fact, there were way too many stories. And since Laura and I have published a church called Tove, We've heard hundreds of stories of church abuse, and almost all of it spiritual abuse or power abuse. We haven't been confronted or told that many stories of sexual abuse. They tend to go to therapists and into more serious avenues for telling. But at one time, we were receiving three to five stories a week of churches and leaders, men and women, but mostly women who had been abused in their churches by powers. And we want to speak into this situation, and we want, we want to make a difference, as it were. We wanted to speak redemptively about this topic. So in the process, I began to observe, and Laura began to observe, and Chris, my wife, who's with me, uh, we're always together in these things. We began to observe traits of toxicity in churches. Things like narcissism and power through fear and institution creep and loyalty and false narratives, unwillingness to tell the truth by people who simply want people to confess their sins and find forgiveness, but when they're, confess, when they're confronted with their own sins, are unwilling to confess their own sins. It's been, for me, a really disappointing, disheartening dimension of this entire story, is the number of pastors who are unwilling to admit their fault, which is beyond is grace. That's what we teach. So we observe these toxic cultures, and I one time on a blog post that went viral and went through the halls of Willow Creek mentioned that what churches need is goodness. Well, I teach Bible, you know, and I teach seminary students, and I thought I'd be kind of cool and use the Hebrew word because it's, it's a nice word, tov. Well, they all started using the word tov everywhere. And it was a Tove baseball game, and it was a Tove day, and they wrote a Tove paper, and they wanted a Tove grade on their paper. So I thought, well, this is, this is kind of cool. This word's a bit catchy. So we came up with the idea that the book would be called A Church Called Tove, and the publisher said, we don't use Hebrew words in titles. Well, I've dealt with publishers before, a few times. And I said, well, I said, I think this one works. No, we don't use Hebrew. I said, all right, just, just take it for a while and use it in your office for about a week or read the book before you tell me whether you think Tov works. And within two weeks, they thought Tov was a great word for a title. <laughs> so publishers don't always win. And I did a word study on this because I found that, that people resonated. Uh, yeah, churches need Tov don't they? Goodness. 
They need what is good. So I looked at the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and looked at the New Testament, which is written in Greek, so it's not using the word tov, but behind some of the words is tov. And I just started to map this out as a sort of a template for me to think about all these toxicities in churches, these marks of toxicity, and how tov can counter those toxicities, and what tov would look like against that toxicity. In studying the Old Testament, we realize that God alone is tov. This is said numerous times in the Bible. We sing songs about this. You know, you are good. Don't we sing that song? We don't say tov, but we should, but we will learn. One of the things I like about the Bible on the word tov is how tov is connected to the word beauty, and it can be translated as beauty or excellent. So when God creates in Genesis chapter 1 is a chapter of tov, you know. God makes the, the sun and the darkness and the light and all these things. He says, it's tov, it's tov. He says this six times. And then when he's all done, God says, it's tov me'od. Very good. And he looks at himself and he says, look what I've done. It's pretty cool. It's beautiful. And throughout the Bible, when the word beautiful is being used, that word tov is behind it. Creation is tov. Music is tov. Good words are tov. Sermons sometimes can be tov. Children can sometimes be tov until they're teenagers, <laughs> right? And yards can be tov, and paintings can be tov, and what people wear can be tov. That's why I'm standing behind this thing. <laughs> I've never been accused of tov on that. <laughs> tov is active. It is something we do. The Bible says that we are to chase tov and to flee from ra, evil. So the Garden of Eden had a tree of the knowledge of good tov and evil ra. And so the Bible teaches us over and over to chase Tov. And we began, we sang a song that had this running after Tov. That's the, that's the a paraphrase of this expression in the book of Psalms. Jesus is someone who taught us to do Tov, your good works. Paul talks about good works. Peter talks about doing good in the public sector. James is big on Tov. And John, so everybody knows that Tov is important. And here's a really odd thing that I discovered. Evangelical Christians are really nervous about the word Tov. There's only one Bible verse they know with the word Tov in it. There is none Tov, not, no, not one. And they memorized it in the King James Version long ago. And we're nervous about saying, I just want to mature to be good. We're a little nervous about that. We can't be good. And yet the Bible says, because of the transforming power of the Spirit, that God is capable of taking raw people, he's taking ordinary people, and making them tov. And when you encounter a tov person, like Mr. Rogers, right, you say, that man is tov. And my daughter was fond at finding stories for our book. And I finally told her, there are no good stories about anybody who's alive. And she said, why? I said, just wait a few years. 
because we've experienced this at the most profound level in our family. What we thought was tov turned out not to be so tov. So they had to be dead. So we fastened upon Mr. Rogers. Nobody says he wasn't tov. The people who worked with him said, many people said he was the most Christ-like person they ever encountered in their life. And he was tov. And a reporter who went out to get him writes a story about him and said, that man on TV is the man at home and the man in the workplace. He didn't abuse his power ever that we know of. Tov people are those who discern that something's not right. That's a pretty good title for a book, if I, if I don't say so. <laughs> Tov people, because they have encountered so much Tov and matured in Tov, are the ones who, when something's not right, they recognize it. Those are the people who need to be on your elder board and your deacon boards in churches. Tove detectors. Because they see when things are not right. Tove people have the capacity to recognize and resist evil. You know, the ultimate judgment of God, according to Jesus a few times in parables, is that when God looks at us in the final judgment, he will use one word, tov. We translate this, well done. But behind it is just one little Greek word, you. And the Hebrew word was tov. The final judgment is, you are tov. No finer word in the Bible. The gospel is made up of two words, message that is tov, the good news. We preach a gospel about tov. That's why it's so important for us to begin to refashion churches and transform churches in the direction of tov. So we recognize these toxicities in churches, and our goal was to challenge and counter the toxicities with marks of tov. So empathy, uh, which is a profoundly important category of Christian love and compassion, empathy counters narcissism. The, one of the singular marks of a narcissist is an incapacity to understand the skin of another person. Narcissists are so self-absorbed and so concerned with themselves, they cannot even comprehend what other people feel. Empathy. Grace counters a power through fear culture, which we found is a second mark of toxicity. And grace is the capacity to make someone safe in their place and location in their church, in their ministry, so that the powerful people who have grace as a mark do not abuse people in those situations, they do not humiliate them, and they do not use words that shame other people because they know what grace is. Grace is a power of God at work in us to make us grace-giving people who can forgive and understand and reflect empathy. In a tov culture that counters toxicity cultures, 
they count, we counter institution creep, that sense that people have, and Wade brought this up this morning, is that when people want to start telling stories and coming forward, they know it's going to damage the reputation of the church. And church powers like that, because now they have a person in a position that they're afraid to tell the truth. But in a Tove culture, we put people first, and putting people first means knowing their names and knowing their stories, so that when they come forward with a story, we say, we know who you are. We value who you are. We don't care about the institution. We care about you. Tove cultures. Tove cultures tell the truth, and they do not propagate false narratives. The oddest thing about the book that Laura and I wrote is it began when I was reading a book about how the German pastors responded to the Nazis and to the Holocaust after World War II. I'm fascinated by World War II. Uh, my favorite theologian uh, was, was killed during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, but I was reading, I was fascinated by this topic. How did those pastors respond to the Holocaust. And as I read this story, I began to take notes, and it became the chapter in our book called False Narratives That Churches Tell. Darvo is one of the expressions that is used for these kinds of false narratives. But it's about silencing, it's about demonizing, it's about weaponizing, it's about turning themselves into victims. All these things took place with the German pastors who would not take any responsibility for the Holocaust, though they were complicit the whole time with the German Christian movement, it was called. Christian shouldn't even be in the sentence. It was so vicious. Tov cultures and churches and leaders tell the truth. They're not brutal, but they're unafraid of telling the truth. If someone um, has a sexual relationship with someone in the church that's inappropriate, and it can be spiritual abuse, it can be inappropriate, they don't say they've been called to another setting. They tell the truth, because this, this forms a culture that says, we're going to value truth in this church. Tove cultures do the right thing at the right time, and so they oppose loyalty cultures. So much of what we heard so often, Laura and I, in emails and text messages, I mean, people will write long messages to me. They're texting me. Do they not know that thumbs are hard to type with? I'm too old for that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know how they do this sort of And there would be long stories, but it was constantly this loyalty is that I felt loyal to this church, and therefore I didn't tell the truth, and I didn't pursue justice. Here's my definition of justice. It is to do the right thing at the right time, not 30 years later. Tove is to do the right thing at the right time. This word justice in the Bible is connected to the word right all the time, righteousness, tzedek, Tekiah Sune, etc. So 
uh, tov, cultures, tov cultures do the right thing at the right time. So when, they, when something happens, the first decision made is often determinative of where this is going. What do they do when the story first comes forward? We have too many sad stories about that. We also have a culture, a toxic culture that is inebriated with celebrities. We turn pastors and leaders in churches and musicians into celebrities. The church has one celebrity, his name is Jesus. Everybody else is called a servant. That's the right word. And I've often been asked to write about leadership culture. My stinging email that goes back to him always says, I'm more interested in followers than I am in leaders. We've got a leader, his name is Jesus, and we need to nurture followers of Jesus. And as we follow, even the Apostle Paul, who some people think has a pretty healthy ego or beyond, the Apostle Paul said, imitate me, 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, as I follow Christ. That's the only person worthy of following, are those who are following Jesus in an attached, in attending, and abiding way. Instead of developing celebrity cultures, and I think that we have an intoxication with this in evangelicalism that is profoundly unhealthy and is damaging to the church. We need to nurture a service culture. And I tell my students and I tell my pastor friends with whom I talk about these things that you need to be involved in some kind of service to the homeless and you can't tell anybody about it but your spouse and don't ever use it in a sermon illustration because you're going to get applause for it. And then it's not service. It's called glory. And that's not what you're doing it for. You will learn in the humility of service what true service is really about. And only in keeping it quiet do you genuinely learn what service is. Because the minute, I agree with that totally. Anybody, who, anybody who's involved with this realizes that service like this has lessons to teach in, in its own way. But the minute you spring out of it and start using it, uh, then you really get yourself in trouble. I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. And finally, um, this is a, a pet peeve of mine. You may not agree with me, but I'm right. And I have the platform right now, so I'm going to say it. And that is, I don't like leader as a term for a pastor. I like the word pastor. And pastors pastor people. They don't preach sermons. They pastor people, which means nurturing Christ-likeness or Christoformity in people who are in their flock. Leaders have people who follow them. Pastors have people who are growing in Christ-likeness with them. And I think that when we started in the 80s, you know, people didn't talk about pastors as leaders until the 80s and 90s. It became an intoxicating culture of trying to be a leader, and the business world began to influence it. I just saw a study that Chris passed on to me this last week. I mean, it was this week. 
We no longer have short-term memory. Um, that they did a study of people who come to leadership conferences of all sorts. The correlation between people who attend leadership conferences and narcissism is really high. That was all I needed to hear. I love that statement because I think we want to nurture pastors who pastor and nurture Christ-likeness in people, not those who are leaders. So a Tove culture raises up Christ-likeness as what a pastor's calling is about rather than leadership. Okay, now that's a summary of Tove, of what we've written so far, and I want to spend the rest of the time with the book that Laura and I now have at the publisher called Tove Unleashed. And yes, we got Tove in the title again. <laughs> at first they thought, do we need it again? And now they really think it's a good title. And we have integrated in this book strategies about transformation of church cultures, because this is the problem that we're asked. What, here's the most common question. What can we do in our church? to help it transform into a Tove culture instead of a toxic culture. So this is what we worked on for our next book. And I'm a Bible guy, so I was always drawing it back into biblical categories um, and not just organizational culture categories of Edgar Schein, who has a great book on this. So I will give you some of those categories now. But the first thing I want to say uh, just as kind of a preface to this, is that there's three words that, that can be used interchangeably that we distinguish. Change, shift, and transformation. All right? You change a church when you change the worship leader or the person who plays the drums. You shift the culture when you move the piano from one side to the other. And I have a pastor student who said to me, do you know how you move a, a piano in a church from one side to the other? One inch a week. <laughs> and at the time it's over there, no one will have noticed. But if you try doing it from there to there in one week, you may lose your job, he told me. <laughs> Transformation is pervasive. Culture is so thick in churches that you can't just take a pastor and remove them and put someone else in that spot and change the culture. It's not going to happen. It's deep and penetrating, and it's the result of long-term conversations with many people over a long time about many topics that forms into a culture that is capable of making people comfortable or uncomfortable. And David Brooks said this, that it is amazing how the environment of a workplace, and I'll just use culture, um, can make people who fit into that culture, and if they don't fit into that culture, they get bounced. That's the power of culture. And you can't just say, uh, we're going to have a three-week series of sermons on church culture, and we're going to completely change everything. Nothing's going to happen like that. So it's transformation is, is a really big category. And I want to talk about that today. Let's use the image of a peach tree. Now, I don't know a whole lot about trees, so don't hold me accountable for anything I say. 
but I'm right, basically. And that is, there's soil, there's a trunk, there's branches, leaves, and fruit. We want good peaches. People who come to church on Sunday and sit in pews just care about mostly about the fruit that drops from the tree. But that fruit is produced by a tree. The tree is the culture. And underneath that culture is soil that you and I probably know nothing about. And in toxic church cultures, this is what we've discovered to be characteristic of the soil. Ambition. Now, ambition's not terrible, but in the right hands, ambition's fine. Pride, which is never good. Competition with other pastors. Who's got the biggest church? Who's got the biggest budget? Who's got the most people on Sunday morning? Who's got the biggest house? These pastors talk like this at times. I've been in tables when they're doing this, taking notes, looking for an illustration for a book. <laughs> Greed. Greed. Dominating power. These are the things in the soil underneath the grass that you can't see that is actually producing toxic fruit in the tree. And you can't just dig up all that soil. You have to know and discern it. And then you have to replace it with good soil and good nutrients so that instead of the works of the flesh growing on your tree producing toxic fruit, you will have the fruit of the Spirit that will produce love and tov and kindness and grace and all the things that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. But it takes work to discern that. And it's going to take a lot of conversations that are combined with listening, genuine listening, to what people in the church are actually interested in and what they are looking for and what the leaders are. It can't come from top down. It is, to transform a church is going to take a lot of conversations between a lot of people. I talked to a pastor recently who told me that he changed his church culture. Well, he didn't, but he, he was very humble about this. It was a great conversation. He said, from a gospel culture to a kingdom culture. Now, I was not at all happy with those, how he was using those terms, because I've written on both of those terms, and he was using both of them wrong. <laughs> and I was ready to pull out a lecture, but instead I listened, because I know what he wanted. Over here was this sort of, See how many people we can get on Sunday in a gospel culture. And in a kingdom culture, he wanted to find, he wanted to nurture a culture that would produce Christians who not only embraced Jesus, but they served people during the week and got involved with justice and compassion, and they began to fill the community with tove and goodness. So I thought, that's a pretty good idea. I said, how'd you do it? He said, I didn't tell anybody this, but for two years, we went through every passage in the gospel. We met every other week as leaders, and it's a fairly large church of 80 to 100 people every other week meeting. He said, we went through every passage in the gospels to catch a vision for how Jesus does it. He says, that's kingdom. And he said, by the time we were done, everybody was convinced because the scripture is so clear 
of how kingdom-shaped Jesus is. I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Then I said, then what'd you do? He said, then we met with people for three years. And we just talked about what we're thinking about, and we got their feedback. And we didn't go public in the church for five years. And then he said it took three more years for the church to settle into the new culture. So he says, I would tell people it takes eight years to transform a church culture when people want that to happen. Edgar Schein says it takes seven years to change a business culture when the leadership is totally convinced and everybody's on board. Which is a little bit of a warning, isn't it, about what we're talking about here. There are three approaches now to transforming your church or your business or your group into Tove. And I want to talk about those quickly and then give you the seven marks of our seven habits that you can develop that can help transform a church. These are habits and practices of transforming culture. The first approach is to transform the church culture. And I'm going to talk about what you have to have to be able to make that happen. But almost no one that I've talked to in the last three years was in a position to make that happen. So the second approach is to withdraw into a pocket of Tove inside the church and say, they can do what they want, but we are going to be committed to Tove with one another. And they form a small group that begins to nurture Tove. And I can tell you toxic leaders, when they hear about it, are going to say that's divisive. And it is. Praise God. <laughs> Tove is divisive at times. The third thing is to leave. And you have to be wise about how long you're going to stay and fight for change. Set time limits. I'll, I'll talk to people about this for one year. Set realistic expectations if you're going to stay and even form a pocket of tov, but try to transform the church. Set realistic expectations. And your expectations should not be a revolution in your church toward tov, because it's not going to happen. Unless you're really lucky. I don't know where that's ever happened. And I think one of your most important realistic expectations is simply to be heard. And if they hear you, and they hear enough people, maybe some changes can be made. And I would also say then, which leads to the third point I made, is don't be afraid to walk away. I believe in the church, but I do not believe in toxic church cultures. I don't believe they are the church. So we want to be involved in transforming church cultures to Tove, and I want you to know it's really hard work. And the odds are against us. That's sad to say. So here are the seven practices. The first one, I'm nervous about talking about because Diane is sitting right there, and she's going to correct me, okay? So I'm going to use the Bible, all right? That's all I got. Okay, 
The first is power. This is the elephant in the room. And, and I, I just want to say this. I've had Tove pastors say to me, tell people that if they aren't in power or connected to people in power, it's not going to happen. Power is necessary for the church to be transformed. There are four prepositions connected to power that I want you to be aware of. The first is power over. This is the way of Rome and Babylon. It's domination. And when a church is toxic, many times there are dominating toxic powers at the top who are dominating with that power over other people. And the only thing, we heard this yesterday, I think he's right, the only thing that power people like that listen to is power and Twitter. <laughs> you know, that's true, because it's about reputation. And they don't like that. Okay. But that's a trump card that you use. I shouldn't have said that. That's a, that's a card you use later. Okay. Power over, power over, power to. Now, this is the power to influence someone, all right? I have power over my students that I could use. I have power to influence them. Influence can be good, and it can be bad. I can say stupid things that are abusive that they will propagate in their churches if they think they should do what I do. But power, too, is something that we all have. Diane has a lot about this in her book. We have power to influence other people. Now, this is where it starts to get Christian, when we have power with people. When people with power on the platform share that platform with other people, that's power with, because who gets to speak on that platform gets a little bit of glory and strength and power. And that platform has to be shared or it becomes aggrandized and that's the development, that's where you go toward narcissism, okay? So power with. But the ultimate form of Christian power is power for another. Jesus said, when his disciples were totally wrong, you know, they wanted, James and John, put up to it by their mother, wanted to sit at the left and the right of Jesus in the kingdom of God, you know, double VPs. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works with our people. The Son of Man, he says, Mark 10, 45, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So giving away power, sharing it, and giving it away to empower other people is the ultimate form of Christian use of power. It is the power of the leader to empower other people to become all that God has called them to be. And when people do that, they can't be narcissists because they're surrendering power all the time. All right. Seven minutes left. The second thing, so the first practice is this, we have to practice tov power. Learning to share power and use it for the sake of other people. The second practice is to focus on forming tov character. 
We value skills and performances on platforms that create personas. Persona is not character. We need to value character, and Tove people recognize character, and they know when something's not right. They look at a person and they say, there's something off. I tell, I tell church boards that are hiring people, for every lawyer on your search committee, you need two psychologists. <laughs> because psychologists are skilled at perceiving character. Just between you and me, lawyers aren't. Right. Uh, some of them are. So th for those lawyers in the room, all right. I used a stereotype. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but too bad. Okay, so we need to form, to, we need to focus on character development and higher character before skills. Yes, of course, someone has to sing, has got to be able to sing. But if they don't have character, then we got to forget the voice and find the character. Jesus said a good tree, tove tree, produces tove fruit. Bad trees don't produce tove fruit. We want tove trees. Third, we need to discern our church culture. Now, this is something you'll have to go onto the internet, and you can find all kinds of tools that are used to assess character and even group dynamics and group character. Churches need to go through a process of an honest investigation of the character of that church culture itself. And in churches that aren't willing to do this, run from them. I know church cultures that have gone through these tools and told people they have to put fives for all their answers. And if they didn't, they wouldn't keep their job because they had to sign their name to their evaluation. I mean, this, this is a church. Truth-telling should be a part of a church. I'll move on. Fourth, you'll need to build a coalition for Tove. And this is where I talked about conversations with people and listening to one another. You can't just download Tove into a community. It's going to take a culture formation, and that's conversations with one person after another and listening to one another to where you can build this up to where there's ownership and the people in the entire church eventually saying, this is what we believe at this church. This is the way we want to live. And I know this happened with this pastor I was talking to. And it took him eight years to convince everybody, and it wasn't even a persuasion. It was an attempt for people to see what they had to offer, and could they do that? Fifth, be the example. One pastor told me, when he is uh, transforming, working at transforming the church culture with others, he said, I realized that I could not ask people in the church to do something that I had not already done. He served in a homeless kitchen for one year without telling anyone except his wife. He said, I, I realize I cannot ask people to be involved in justice in our community if I'm not doing the same thing myself. We need to elevate examples of Tove in our churches and fewer examples of success. Do you see the difference? Tove character. So Mr. Rogers is Tove. He didn't do as well as Sesame Street, 
But Mr. Rogers was Tove. And his show is Tove, even though he wears weird clothes. <laughs> Sixth, we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Tove is a transformation of character. God is at work in us. God's grace is at work in us. The Spirit of God has the capacity to stir up within us. Responses of Tove to people over time eventually build a character that's Tove. And you've met people who are Tove. And it's because of God's grace in their life that people are Tove. And you want to be like them. And the final habit or practice is to take one step at a time. The goal is not, in a sense, is not going to be reached by we're going to become a Tove church. It's that we are, you don't say this from the pulpit probably, we are terrible at hospitality when people come to our church. We have to, we have to work better at this. And we need to become a culture that is hospitable. And we are, we are unresponsive to the needs in our community. Nobody in the community even knows who we are. And we are going to become a presence, not so that we can be known as a presence, but because we want to impact our community for Tove, and we want to be there. And you don't do it in order to just get them in your church and get more money. You do it because you want to serve your community. One step at a time. Find a weakness and begin to work on it. And you can do this by developing, by discerning the kind of culture that is in your church. I'm pretty realistic about this. And um, I want to be honest with you. It's discouraging. Two years of nasty letters in my inbox. You know, I don't like that. You know? It's awful. But I want to be a part of a solution, or at least take steps toward a solution. And so I'm going to encourage you to be someone committed to becoming Tove. And then helping in your family for people to become Tove. And then maybe spreading out a little bit further. But I, I, I want to tell you that this is hard. This is a revolution in the church of character. And our church is not characterized by character formation. It's characterized by enumeration of butts in, pew, butts in seats, bills in the plate, baptisms in the water, and buildings on the campus. And that's not Tove. What's Tove is Mr. Rogers. What's Tove is Jesus. Someone who, when you were with them, said, I want to be like that person. That's what we need to foster in our churches. Let it begin with you in your small world of just trying to impact around you for Tove. And when you see that something's not right, you will have a witness to speak up like the many who have spoken up in the last few years in the church. Courageous, mostly women, who've said enough is enough. I'm going to be a part of the solution.
Man, that is so good. I love Scott's challenge to be Tove right now in our families, in our workplaces, and yes, in the churches or other Christian communities we belong to. That is so important, but if we're honest, it's hard too, right? It starts with being like Jesus ourselves. And so I just pray, Lord, help us to be more like you, to have your character and your heart. Well, just a quick reminder, if you'd like a transcript of this podcast, just go to our website, julieroy, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com, and then click on the podcast tab. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, just go to julieroys.com and then click on the donate tab. And I want to mention that in July, if you give a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you a copy of Russ Meek's new book, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. This is a fantastic book dealing with issues of abuse, trauma, and forgiveness through the lens of the author of Ecclesiastes. So again, to donate and get the book, just go to julieroys.com slash donate. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you were blessed and encouraged.